You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cyber kidnapping in Utah, hospitals sue for data recovery, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security assesses cyber threats to the U.S. Mac malware is on the rise. Cameras are hacked by Russian intelligence services and provide targeting information. A ransomware roundup, an NPM dependency campaign. Google recommends enhanced safe browsing. Rob Boyce from Accenture describes the five families and the trend of hacker collaboration. And the FTC wants to hear your cloned voice. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. We begin today with the strange and disturbing case of Kai Zhang, a 17-year-old Chinese foreign exchange student who became the center of a complex cyber kidnapping case after disappearing from his host city, Riverdale, Utah. Initially feared kidnapped following a ransom demand to his parents in China, Zhang was eventually found cold and scared in a tent near Brigham City. Earlier concerns feared a forced abduction, but Zhang had in fact left his host family's home voluntarily. Investigators believe he was manipulated by these cyber kidnappers targeting foreign exchange students, particularly from China. The criminals deceive both the student and their family, demanding ransoms while convincing the victim to isolate themselves and simulate captivity. Local police, collaborating with the FBI and both U.S. and Chinese embassies, learned that Zhang's family in China had paid around $80,000 to Chinese bank accounts after receiving threats and a photo indicating Zhang's peril. This case falls into a pattern of what's being called cyber kidnappings, where the kidnappers maintain control over the victim and extort the family using fear tactics. The search for Zhang involved warrants for various records and surveillance footage analysis, he was located after extensive efforts, including the use of drones. Local police are advocating for vigilance against these sorts of crimes and stress the importance of trusting and cooperating with law enforcement. 
The investigation continues as authorities seek to apprehend the cyber kidnappers involved. Despite the cold and his ordeal, Zhang was medically cleared and eager to reconnect with his family. Once found, he reportedly requested a nice hot cheeseburger. Two New York not-for-profit hospitals, Carthage Area Hospital and Claxton Hepburn Medical Center, part of the North Star Health Alliance, are seeking a court order to recover data stolen in an August ransomware attack by the Lockbit Gang. The hospitals, serving over 220,000 residents in various counties, had sensitive files, including patient information, compromised, forcing patient redirection for urgent care. Post-attack, the hospital's IT teams worked on system stabilization with plans to reschedule affected appointments. The stolen data, including personal and health information, was found stored on Wasabi Technologies servers in Boston. In response, the hospitals filed a lawsuit assisted by the FBI against the cybercriminals. They request the court to compel Wasabi to return the data and mandate the ransomware group to destroy all copied data. This incident is part of Lockbit's broader patterns of attack, including disruptions in German hospitals and Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children, causing delays in emergency care and treatment. Lockbit, the ransomware-as-a-service operation active since 2019, has targeted major organizations globally, extorting approximately $91 million from U.S. entities alone, over 1,700 attacks since 2020. The hospital's legal action aims to safeguard their stolen data and mitigate further risks to patient privacy and care continuity. In its annual Homeland Threat Assessment for 2024, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence and Analysis predicts a continuing Russian threat in cyberspace, it draws particular attention to three expected areas of Russian activity against the U.S. to emanate from Russia's war against Ukraine, influence operations, privateering by cyber criminals, and disruption by hacktivist auxiliaries, and cyber espionage by intelligence services. Iran and China are also prominently mentioned among the cyber threats expected to be active against the U.S. this year, much of Iran's activity can be expected to be connected to the war between Hamas and Israel. China represents a major continuing threat. Tensions over Taiwan are expected to continue and probably increase, but most of China's activity in cyberspace will in all likelihood be directed toward long-term political and especially economic competition with the U.S. and other rivals. Notably absent from the threat assessment is North Korea. Security expert Patrick Wardle published a detailed blog analyzing a significant increase in macOS-targeted malware in 2023, with 21 new families identified, marking a 50% rise from 2022. These threats include ransomware like Lockbit and Turtle, and a predominant number of information stealers like PureLand and Realst. Notably, North Korean APT groups were highly active, producing malware such as Smooth Operator and Rust Bucket. Other threats include the SparkRat Backdoor, Geekin Backdoor, and WS Client Proxy. Persistent threats like iWeb Updater and new variants of CoinMiner and XLoader are also observed, alongside unverified reports of malware like HVNC and Shadow Vault. The surge underscores the growing interest of cybercriminals in targeting Apple devices. 
Ukrainian authorities have dismantled two surveillance cameras in Kyiv, alleging they were hacked by Russia to spy on air defense and critical infrastructure. These cameras, originally for residents to monitor their surroundings, were reportedly manipulated by Russian intelligence to stream sensitive footage on YouTube, aiding in directing drones and missiles during an attack on Kyiv and Kharkiv. This assault resulted in casualties and injuries. Since Russia's invasion in February 2022, Ukraine's security service, the SBU, has blocked around 10,000 cameras potentially used by Moscow for missile strike planning. Investigations revealed many Ukrainian cameras using Russian Tracer software capable of detailed surveillance were linked to servers in Moscow and accessible to Russian security services. Ukrainian law prohibits sharing imagery of attack sites to prevent aiding enemy targeting with violations carrying severe penalties. We have a number of reports of ransomware incidents to share. The U.S. Division of Xerox has sustained a cyber attack that may have involved the theft of personal information, the record reports, bleeping computer notes that the INC ransomware gang added the company to its data leak site on December 29th. Coincidentally, on December 29th, Florida-based Acumen Inc., a provider of radiology and oncology services, disclosed a data breach stemming from an October 11th ransomware attack. The breach exposed a range of sensitive information, including names, contact details, birth dates, social security and driver's license numbers, as well as health insurance and medical data. While taking its systems offline and conducting an investigation, Acumen confirmed the intrusion involved confidential patient information. And Sweden's co-op supermarket chain is dealing with a cyber attack by the Cactus ransomware gang on its Varmland branch since December 22nd. The gang, targeting large entities since March, breached co-op's network through VPN vulnerabilities and malicious online ads. The attack disrupted card payments, prompting co-op to spin up a temporary website and seek external cybersecurity aid. Though stores stayed open with alternative communication channels, this isn't co-op's first ransomware ordeal. They had a 2021 incident with Kaseya ransomware impacting 800 stores. Checkmarks warns of an apparent troll campaign in the NPM registry that could lead to denial-of-service incidents, a user uploaded a package named Everything to the registry, which relies on every other public NPM package, resulting in millions of transitive dependencies. As a result, users who installed the package will experience issues like storage space exhaustion and disruptions in build pipelines. The user is remorseful and says they didn't realize they wouldn't be able to delete the package once it was incorporated into other users' projects. Cyber News reports that a new hack exploiting the OAuth2 protocol is compromising Google accounts, allowing cyber attackers to maintain valid sessions and regenerate cookies even after IP or password resets. Google has acknowledged the issue, stating that such attacks are not new and that they have taken action to secure affected accounts. Contrary to reports, Google affirms that stolen sessions can be invalidated by users signing out or revoking access remotely. Users are advised to remove any malware and enable enhanced safe browsing in Chrome. 
The exploit, part of the Luma InfoStealer malware, manipulates the GAIA ID token and is quickly being adopted by various InfoStealer groups. At least five such exploits are reportedly using this technique, with one developer claiming to have discovered the exploit in October 2023. Cybersecurity firm Hudson Rock has observed the trend and interacted with a developer who provided them a demonstration. Coming up after the break, Rob Boyce from Accenture talks about the five families, the trend of hacker collaboration. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Robert Boyce. He is Managing Director and Global Lead for Cyber Resilience at Accenture. Rob, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. So uh, the topic that we are discussing today has to do with the five families. And I have to say that this uh, makes me think that we're going to be reviewing a Francis Ford Coppola film, but uh, that is not, in fact, the case. What are we talking about here, Rob? Yeah, aside from also loving the name, Dave, um, <laughs> I, I I think this is an interesting. This is this is not the first time we've seen threat actors working together, but it's really one of the first times we've seen it publicly announced, right? And so we're actually seeing five distinct threat actor groups all coming together under one moniker that you had mentioned, the five families, which is interesting to me for many reasons. You know, one I think is these five threat actor groups don't also share the same motivations. You know, some are very financially motivated. Some will declare themselves as hacktivists. Uh, even one that just says they want to create chaos. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of really interesting, um, you know, uh, very different motivations across the group. There's even some, I would say, conflict of motivations in some way. So we have one threat actor group, as an example, saying, you know, that they would not, uh, you know, target uh, healthcare. And then we have another threat actor in the same family who has no issue with that, who's actively targeting healthcare. Uh, one who is supporting Russia, one that is supporting Ukraine. And so while this is uh, really interesting and, and, and potentially, you know, drives a lot more concern for us, you know, in the public sector and government, um, I, I think it's time to tell whether this is going to be an alliance that will hold or maybe falls apart because of the, the you know, the separation and, and, and alignment of motivations and, and targeting. It strikes me as being either a lot of swagger or, or perhaps cockiness here to to make such an announcement here. I mean, does that does that track as well? It seems to me like these folks would be putting a target on their backs. Yeah, I think it's a, a lot of notoriety that's being gained from this. You know, like a lot of the threat actor groups are, are newer. So maybe it's a way for them to, you know, just become more well-known quickly. Uh, I, I do think it will, you know, it, it provides heightened awareness at least uh, of what they're, what they're about. So, you know, they're getting talked about more than maybe they would have if they would have stayed, you know, uh, distinct and separate. So I think there's some of that. Um, you know, I think one of the other things that is interesting to me is we're starting to see a little bit of collaboration here. So, you know, there's, you know, one of the threat actors in this five families, um, GoSec, had recently released uh, Ghost Locker. And at least uh, one other threat actor within this five families has now uh, agreed to publicly actively use that malware as part of their campaigns. And so, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of collaboration that could potentially happen across these groups to, you know, maybe move them from somewhat uh, relevant to maybe more relevant faster because now they have more you know, resources at their disposal, they're learning faster, they're able to collaborate across the different groups in a way that they may not have been able to do before or may just not been interested in doing before. You know, a couple of interesting things about this ransomware in particular, um, you know, because, you know, what's one more ransomware as a service? This one is really written uh, in Python. And again, it's not the first thing we've seen in Python, um, but... Uh, it is uh, it is very different, and it's starting to show the power of how Python can be used for for things like for ransomware. Right? It's making use of libraries that are already on the system. Um, you do have to deploy a compiler with it, and, and there's a lot of different ways to be able to 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 spot this. But it's not a traditional, you know, not a traditional method that we've seen in the past. And I think we're going to start seeing more of this. One other thing that I think is very interesting about this. And this is completely a hypothesis, 100% mm. hypothesis. But if you're looking at trying to create malware quickly using technology, say like ChatGPT, um, it's much easier to do in Python than it is to do in, say, C or C++. We've actually done some testing ourselves to show that the efficacy of which we can create malware is using, say, like WormGPT or other GPT services is much better with Python, like much, much better with Python than it is with C and C++. So there is an element of this maybe even starting to experiment a little bit more with those technologies to see how, you know, this can translate into active, um, active threats. What's the advice for the defenders in our audience here as you look at this sort of trend? 
I mean, there's a few things. Like, so as I said, a lot of the threat actors within this group have different motivations, and a lot of organizations will pay attention more to threat actors that are targeting them, or targeting their industry, targeting their geography. And so now I think there is that has to be widened a little bit more potentially by understanding these relationships in the broader threat actor ecosystem to better plan your defenses. And otherwise, when it pertains to you know things like Ghost Locker. It's a lot of the same advice from a ransomware preparedness point of view. You know, do the tabletop exercises, make sure you have EDRs, et cetera. But I think with this in particular, there are additional identifiers or additional IOCs that can be used to spot this type of um, this type of ransomware or malware in your environment. That being, you know, there's there's additional compilers or, or Python compilers that would need to be installed as part of the packages. Those things can be easily hunted for across the environment to see if they're actually being installed or have been installed, because they're very, very rarely ever going to use be used for business or corporate applications. And so those types of additional IOCs are, are something that organizations can start to look for now. Robert Boyce is Managing Director and Global Lead for Cyber Resilience at Accenture. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. That was a pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, today opened submissions for its voice cloning challenge. According to the agency... While voice cloning technology offers potential benefits like medical aid for individuals who've lost their voices, it also poses significant risks, including fraud and the misuse of biometric data. The FTC has initiated this exploratory challenge to develop comprehensive solutions from products to policies aimed at protecting consumers from these harms. The challenge seeks to spur preventative solutions and, if unsuccessful, will signal to policymakers the need for stricter controls on this emerging technology. This is, of course, ridiculous. Who would possibly fall for a cloned version of the voice of one of their favorite presenters, especially one that they listen to every day? The idea is absurd. I'm Dave Bittner. 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 And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like the CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. 
as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.